Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 568. Don't do anything you don't want to do. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Sam Moses. Sam, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Uh, let me check this seat to see if there is a seat belt. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're not. I might be flying out of the seat. Well, I think you've flown out a few seats, so I'm not too worried here. We're going to talk about the adventures, crazy things you've done in your life. I think we're going to have some fun here. Sam Moses is a journalist and author, among many other things, a racer who began riding as a seaman apprentice on a Navy cruiser in the South China Sea. Two days after his discharge, he was on the Isle of Man riding about motorcycles, and he filed a race report from the Mojave Desert, which landed him a job as motorsports writer for Sports Illustrated, and he did that for 18 years. He began racing in 1965 at Watkins Glen on a motorcycle, and today he runs at Vintage Events in an Oldsmobile Cutlass, the original Skull Bandit, the same race car in his book Fast Guys, Rich Guys, and Idiots, originally released in 1985, which he recently remastered for release. I caught up with Sam at the Pacific Northwest Historic Races a few weeks ago where I enjoyed watching him mix it up on the track. Sam, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment to share a little bit more about your career and your passion for automobiles and racing before we get into some of the questions? Whoa, I don't know, 400, 500, 600 stories, uh, magazine articles, I guess, and uh, four books, well, five, depending on how you count. So... I feel like uh, I have done a ton of stuff when I look back, but it never feels like enough. When I'm asked a question a little bit more about my career, it's like, whew, don't know where to begin. I get confused, <laughs> you know, at my age, you know, <laughs> I get confused when I think back about uh, the career. I don't think of it as a career. That's part of it. it. It's a life to me, and I don't know where to bleep and begin. Oh, I take a deep breath because, uh, honestly, Mark, I've, I've got 40 uh, or is it 50 years of resources to try to use to answer the question. It's like, 
a little bit more about my career. Holy cow. <laughs> Uh, I was the editor of a motorcycle magazine, and then uh, a lot of years at Sports Illustrated, and then a lot of years freelance, and a lot of years, uh, a few years, anyhow, at Car Magazine, and it's been outside sports, outside adventure, sports adventures, and motorsports, and I feel like I've been a lot of uh, a lot of places that were firsts in uh, both of those worlds and more. And I'm still exploring. Now it's Australia. That's what's in my future. In the last three years, I've been around Australia twice, and and uh, there's so much more to see there, and there's so many more adventures on the list. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about you, and, and I, I knew when I asked you that question, it was going to be pretty much impossible to answer in a short bit, because I'll, listeners, I'll tell you a little bit. Sam has done some amazing things. He has done everything from... Uh, Oh gosh, let's see. Uh, you've been in the Amazon River. You've, uh, climbed mountains with people. You've hung out with the likes of Mario Andretti and Cale Yarborough, Dan Gurney, Shirley Muldowney. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So we're going to learn a lot more about little tidbits here. I know it's hard to cover in, in 30 minutes, but as we continue on your journey, I'd like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. Sam, I know you love to drive. You still race, so take the wheel. Well, I don't uh, I don't have a success quote or mantra. I can tell you what I practice and what I say to myself all the time. I guess you call it a I guess you call it a mantra and it's my own. I am constantly perpetually still every day of my life asking myself two things. Is this what I want to be doing? And <laughs> is this a productive use of my time? Literally in a day, I might ask myself each of those questions six times. And it's how I keep myself on the path that I want to be on. And to some people, it makes me look driven. When you're always saying, is this a productive use of my time? Mm-hmm. About every little thing. It, see, it might seem like you're driven, but it's not. It's just a recognition that life is short and there's no time to waste. What you're sharing here is incredibly valuable because so many people go through their life just doing the things they do. And at the end of a month or a year or a few years or even a lifetime, they look back and go, I didn't really want to do that. What was I thinking? I love that mantra. That is a mantra. That is a way to live your life. And it's led to a very, very interesting life for you, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it has. <laughs> Without feeling like I'm I'm driven. It's just fairly extreme efficiency. <laughs> I like the way you put that. I like it quite a bit. Now that's awesome and it's led to some incredible adventures in your writing because unlike some authors or journalists who just write, it seems to me like you get involved. You actually go out and do these things you write about. Am I correct? Yeah, for sure. George Plimpton, I'm not sure if if he began it, but back when I was a young writer in the early 70s, George Plimpton was the star for what they called participatory journalism. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, um, despite the fact that he's a brilliant writer, I I don't mean to put him down, but even then, when I was young and ambitious and hungry, I never had the respect for him that a lot of other people did because, I mean, I guess his first book of that nature was when he went out in the field and he uh, pretended to be a quarterback with, uh, I forget which NFL team. But 
he was awful and everybody knew he was awful mm. and he knew he was awful and he didn't pretend he was anything but awful. <laughs> and he tried to, and it was a funny book, but he tried to turn that into a, a valid experience. And I never quite, I never quite accepted that. Mm. I believe that if you're going to do it, you have to do it on a level with the people around you. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a difference. And there were, and every time I got myself in that situation, I looked at those people around me and they were generally a lot better than me. But at least I was holding my own. Right. And I looked at those people and I said, if only they could write, they could do what I'm doing better than I can. Hmm. But they couldn't write. Let's go back in time and I'd like for you to share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars. Tell us a pivotal moment in your life as you remember it when you really realized and you said to yourself, uh-oh, I'm a car guy. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Almost every vintage race I go to, I end up telling the same story, but I remember it vividly. It was 1957, Watkins Glen, with my father standing on the roof of a trailer, watching a race that is still considered classic. In fact, the uh, the motorsports artist Randy Owens has a painting that uh, you have to dig deep into his archives to find it. But it was uh, Bob Holbert, the father of, of the late Al Holbert mm-hmm. and Paul O'Shea. Holbert was in the first year of the Porsche RS, and Paul O'Shea was in, in a fabulous, one of a kind Mercedes Benz 300 SL Roadster, silver with a chrome roll bar and red leather upholstery. And they had an amazing, fantastic dice at the front of the field. And I remember standing on the roof of that truck or transporter, whatever it was, watching them come around Watkins Glen every every lap. It was in the fall, beautiful September day, and it was spectacular. These two German silver racing cars up front, and I said, whoa, uh, this is it. That's for me. Yeah. What a memory. That's for me. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Sam, what I'd love to do is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down, crawl under the hood, get our hands a little dirty, something you're not afraid of, I'm sure, and have you share a huge challenge, or even better, a big failure that you faced along the way in your career. Take us to that painful moment. Share that with us. Most importantly, how did you overcome that situation, and what did it teach you? Yeah, I remember. I remember that one, too. <laughs> it was on a beach in, it wasn't exactly Cape Cod, It was in, uh, but it was in Massachusetts. I had my, I was a single dad. I had my two boys with me who were probably uh, four and six at the time. Mm-hmm. I was uh, struggling financially. And I had a book contract to write the book At All Costs, which was a uh, nonfiction book about, well, I think the subtitle of the book is How Two American Merchant Mariners Turned the Tide of World War II. Anyhow, I got a phone call on the beach, on my cell phone, from my agent, saying that the book had been rejected by Random House oh, no. Publisher. Mm. Yeah. And it was absolute. And I had worked two years, 10 hours a day, six days a week on this book. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I poured everything in it. Yeah. And I was absolutely numb. Mm. It was a low point. And so, and I probably, until I, until I talked to my agent and until I talked to my editor at Random House, I, I remained numb. I found out, I said, okay, why was it rejected? And it was rejected because it was too much of a good thing. 
Random House had asked for 90,000 words, and I turned in 130,000 word manuscript because I had gotten so much into the story. And when I talked to my editor, he said, he said, Sam, listen, he said, I don't think you can do it. I don't know if you really can cut 40,000 words out of this, but you're welcome to try. And I think it took me another two or three months. And I said, it's, it's my only choice. It's all I have. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. It's not that easy, by the way. No, I can't imagine. The problem was with 130,000 words, and he was absolutely right. I argued that, oh, no, 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 it needs to be 130,000 words. I just got carried away. Yeah. But the problem is to turn 100,000, 130,000 words of, of too much into a page-turning 90,000-word story especially when you're already dealing with a random house, a big New York publisher. It wasn't just my editor. There was like six editors above him. They don't like to give things like that a second chance, especially to an unknown author, which I was. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, to make a long story short, I pulled it off. And we got a a starred Kirkus review when the book came out. Very cool. Yeah, that was was my my low point. And uh, I don't know what the more to the story is, other than if you believe in yourself, don't give up. Absolutely don't give up. That comes from racing as well. Never, ever give up. Well, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a career aha moment. I like to say it's a time when those headlights come on and kind of illuminate a new path that you've decided to take in your career. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into a success. Yeah, I remember exactly another aha moment. I can see the cat right now, the cat story. (laughs) Okay. I was a college student studying journalism at San Diego State. Yeah. I had written one motorcycle article for a magazine because I was just beginning to enjoy writing. And I got an assignment on Christmas vacation to ride a BMW 750 from San Diego up the Pacific Coast Highway to Mendocino. All north right. of San Francisco. Oh, my gosh. It was, a, it was a classic road trip story. But this was 1971. So things that we take for granted right now that are common and quite used up were original at that time. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, it was a, it was a fabulous. Uh, I took three or four or five days to do it. And uh, I got to Mendocino. And it was uh, Mendocino right now is totally gentrified and expensive and, you know, a fancy resort destination. But then it was a funky rundown. It still had flavor from its days as a whaling village. Mm-hmm. And everything was decrepit. And I stayed in the rundown uh, $20 a night hotel, the Mendocino Hotel, which is now $300 a night probably. <laughs> sure. In any event, so I went to the front desk and there was a hippie there and he said, Oh yeah, there's a there's a room upstairs. The door's open. You can stay there. And he took my twenty dollars. And I said, "Do you know where I can borrow a typewriter?" And he said, "Oh yeah, there's a guy down the street. He'll loan you one." So I was up in the room writing the the magazine article. The window was open, and a cat just came in the open window, lay down on the bed beside <laughs> where I was typing. And I was typing, I was having a wonderful time telling stories from the road trip on this typewriter writing. And I looked over and saw that contented cat. And I said, this would be a cool way to make a living. (laughs) And that's Uh the aha moment. I think that was when I decided to be a a writer, really. The cat story. Very cool. Nice way you wove that one in there. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many over the many years of all the different things you've done, but is there one that stands out for you? Well, certainly the, besides 
the publishing of At All Costs and my parenting memoir. I'm proud of that, a memoir about being a single dad. But I'm almost inclined to say last Sunday, racing that the Oldsmobile Skull Bandit for the last time, I've got a nine-minute video of the race posted on my Facebook page right now. Yeah, I just enjoyed it. I mean, what makes me proud is that I'm 68 years old, and I drove that car harder and faster and better than I ever drove it when I was 35. And it was the end. I knew going into the, the race that it was, and I was the final race for me in that car because I, I intend to sell it. Unless, of course, I take it to Australia, but that's, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, to get in that car, and it's not an easy car to drive. It's 750 horsepower. And oh, gosh, yeah. Long on power and short on brakes and cornering. Yep. But uh, I nailed it. Cool. I nailed it. I mean, in the final race of all times, the brakes were dragging on the grid. When I went, they, my guys bled the brakes right before the race, and I pull out to the grid 10 miles an hour. And it comes to a complete stop by itself. The brakes are dragged. So I, I had to start last because I couldn't start. I think I, I think I would have been fourth or fifth on the grid. Mm-hmm. But I had to start last because I didn't, couldn't get in anybody's way. And I, I pumped the brakes like crazy on the, uh, the pace lap. But I was way behind. I was 100 yards behind at the start. And I finished eighth overall. Nice. I just uh, drove like a son of a gun. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, when I watched the video myself, I said, you nailed it. What fun. <laughs> so to walk to walk away from the car after a 30-some-year relationship, feeling that I drove it harder and better than I ever have, and I, I haven't slowed down, that uh, makes me feel real good. Yeah, I think it really should. You know, I had the joy, listeners, of watching Sam at Pacific Raceway run that car. And, uh, yeah, you uh, definitely... We're enjoying yourself out there. It wasn't uh, just a Sunday stroll for sure. Let's have a little bit of fun and go back in time again. And I'd love for you to share what your first really special or first really special race car was and share a memory you have with that vehicle. It's probably the first chapter of Fast Guys, Rich Guys, and Idiots when I drove a Volkswagen Rabbit in my in my first race. Mm-hmm. But I probably would be more of a street car because I've you know had. 50 or 80 sure. streetcars since I was 16 years old. When I, and I don't know which car would cat, fall in the category of special, but when I was 16 years old, my father bought me an Alfa Romeo for my birthday. Oh, wow. And Yeah, I know. Oh, wow. You have to understand, though, I wasn't, uh, we weren't that rich, and I wasn't at all a spoiled or privileged kid. Now, he was a, he was a racer. Mm-hmm. The first race I ever went to, he raced. He was racing his Alfa Romeo. Cool. And this was in Pennsylvania. And at that time, 16-year-olds, they had a curfew, a midnight curfew. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when I was 15, I was staying out till 2 or 3 in the morning, hanging out with the older guys who were drag racing on the back roads. And I always got away with it. My parents, they were always asleep. I never got busted. But it wasn't against the law. It was against the law for a 16-year-old to be driving after midnight. Anyhow, uh, okay. so I had the Alfa Romeo week after my birthday. I came home at about 10 minutes after 12 one night. I'd been at my girlfriend's house. My dad was waiting up for me. And he said, he said calmly, give me the keys. And I said, what? He Uh-oh. said, <laughs> I'm taking back the car or for a week or something, confiscating. And I said, what for? He said, you came home after 12. And I said, um, 
you never said I had to be home by 12. And he said, well, that's the law. So I calmly gave him the keys. And the next day I went out and bought a 1950 Ford for $105. <laughs> every penny every penny I owned in the world, uh-huh. $105, I bought this 1950 Ford and I drove it home from school. And I said, uh, you can keep your Alfa Romeo. Oh, gosh. <laughs> You're an ornery kid. <laughs> there were strings. And I, you know, I didn't know there were strings. Anyhow, and so the Ford sort of became my special car. And the first thing I did, of course, when I got another $50 was uh, I put in a Hearst floor shift. Ah. Uh, and it took a while to get it right. So there was this was winter in Pennsylvania, and there was a hole in the floor Ooh. for the longest time. And I would drive through puddles and slush and would splash up on my girlfriend's legs. <laughs> she stayed with me. And I said, uh, she's a keeper. Yeah. If a uh, doesn't matter to her whether I have an Alfa Romeo sports car or an old Ford with a hole in the floor. <laughs> and uh, there you go. Yeah, she was a keeper. I ended up marrying her. Very nice, very nice. Well, how about that vehicle that you sold that got away that you wish you had back? Is there one in particular over all the years a car that you wish you still had? Not a car, but a motorcycle. Oh, okay. Sort of three. They were all Formula Seven Fifty motorcycle road racers. All of them built by guys who have gone on to become legends. One of them was a Suzuki Seven Fifty two-stroke three-cylinder water-cooled. Mm-hmm. Another one was a was a BSA, Rickman BSA 750 three-cylinder built by Don Vesco, who was an absolute legend. The first one was built by Pat Hennon, who was the first American ever to win an American uh, a MotoGP. And the third one was another Formula 750 Ducati built by Kenny Dreer who went on to uh, purchase the Norton Motorcycle Company when it died. He built uh, Norton 750s for a while, and he's still around drag racing in the Northwest. But all three of those guys, Pat Hennon, uh, Don Vesco, and Kenny Dreer, have become legends, and all three of them were fabulous bikes, and they're all gone. I don't know where. Yeah, wow. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Well, I would like to talk a little bit about today. And this book, Fast Guys, Rich Guys, and Idiots, you wrote this book a while back, and now you've brought it back, remastered. You cut something like 20,000 words out of it and added 20,000 new words. And the way this book goes for those listeners out there that haven't enjoyed it yet, these are stories that Sam has encountered with people. And I mentioned some of them in the beginning, people like Cale Yarborough and Bobby Unser and Kenny Roberts, Rick Mears, Shirley Muldowney. This is a fun, fun book, a fun, fun read, and I'd love for you to Tell our listeners a little bit more about it, what they're going to expect out of this book, even if they bought it back in the old days in the 80s and read it, why they should get their hands on a copy and reread it. Because, uh, oh my gosh, there are some crazy, crazy adventures in here. Yeah, I started out a couple of years ago thinking I would just turn it into an ebook, And I just was going to clean it up a bit. But that's hard for a writer to do. Because in the process, I, I realized how much of a, how much better I have become over 30 years as a writer, just in terms of saying things in fewer words and being a whole lot tighter. So it was more than just cleaning it up. And the 20,000 words that I cut out were all self-centered, introspective racers' words, which is 
the first time around, that's what the project was. It was, it was a fairly, in fact, the word obsession is in the subtitle. It was a fairly obsessed story by a racer. And you can't be a serious racer unless you are obsessed and self-centered. <laughs> yes. And I realized over the years, and a lot of it's thanks to Facebook over the last four or five years, that and I'm going to make a bold claim here, inviting to be challenged if anybody's hearing it out there. But I honestly believe that I'm the most experienced motorsports journalist in the world. And I base that on the variety. Uh, I know there are Formula One guys who just have no Formula One inside out intensely, and they've been with it forever. And uh, there's NASCAR guys, the same thing. But I kind of, because of those 20 years at Sports Illustrated, I only covered the Super Bowls of each form of motorsports, and I got all the way around. Mm-hmm. And there's only two of us, and I know the other guy, there's only two of us who can say they started out in motorcycles, they had a journalism career in motorsports, uh, in motorcycles, and then they moved on to cars. So I, I go back two wheels and four wheels, and I've touched every aspect of motorsports. What I realized when I was going through Fast Guys, Rich Guys, and Idiots, after I cut out all the self-centered stuff, that I had a lot to share from my Sports Illustrated stories. And in the original version, I never included, I mean, the whole time that I was, that I was driving and keeping a journal about my driving, and then when I wrote the book, I didn't include any of my Sports Illustrated assignments and stories, or hardly any, one or two, I think I did. But I realized when I looked back, and I had every story I ever wrote because I conveniently kept them all in a box. So I have four or 500. Anyhow, um, I realized that I could share a whole lot of stuff from the time that I spent with some of the people that you named there. Everybody from Bobby Unser to Kenny Roberts to John Buffum, the rally driver. Mm-hmm. And then when I looked at those stories, I picked out the, the small portion anecdote or vignette, I picked the part out of those stories that had a lesson for a racer somewhere mm. in there. Cool. That was the criteria for what I chose to use. So that was, those are the 20,000 words that I added to the book after taking out all the stuff that was all me, 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 mm-hmm. you know, again, which is what a racer is. Racers are me, 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 at least in the beginning, they have to be. And I think it really enhances it because every, everything I have in there from whether it's Shirley Muldowney or Dan Gurney, everything that I put in there, I put in there for a reason. And it's bottom line is listen to what this person says. You want to be a racer? Here's your advice. Yeah. I mean, I was consciously name dropping. I mean, <laughs> there was a lot of name dropping in there now. Yeah. A lot. And I realized I surprised myself. I couldn't believe how many times I was saying, oh, I was there. For example, I was there when Nikki Lauda crashed and, and I was burned so badly at the Nürburgring. Mm-hmm. And I was there in 1959 when Roger Penske set a record up the Giants to Spare Hill Climb in Pennsylvania. In fact, I saw Roger about, about a month ago. I was at the Australian V8 supercar race in Perth. And I walked up to the Penske pit and Roger was there. And I walked up to the pits and he saw me coming and he said, there's the famous Sam Moses. And I thought, <laughs> holy cow. Wow. If I got Roger Penske uh, calling me famous, I must be doing something right. You know, I covered 18 Indy 500s, and he was there at all of them. I don't know how many he won, but all four of Rick Mears' Indy 500 wins I covered. So uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I know him pretty well. Wow. Well, you've been there, done that, done just about everything, and I'll encourage the listeners, pick up a copy of the newly remastered Fast Guys, Rich Guys, and Idiots, subtitled A Racing Odyssey on the Border of Obsession by Sam Moses. I think you're going to enjoy this read very, very much. Sam, here's a very introspective question for you. If you were a car or a race car, what kind would you be and why? Well... I want to say I don't know, except I will say the Oldsmobile Bandit is the right car for me to be. I remember going to 1965 Watkins Glen, the summer I graduated from high school, to the NASCAR road race at Watkins Glen. This was in the early days. Buddy Baker was in the race with his dad, uh, Buck Baker. He was 19 years old, one of his first NASCAR races. And I remember watching those big old stock cars on the road race course at that time. And that appealed to me a whole lot more than the same Porsches and, and Mercedes sports cars that I had been watching at Watkins Glen, mm-hmm. you know, when I was even younger than that. Right. And I said, oh man, that's what I want to do. If I want it, you know, that's the kind of racing I want to do. And I ended up getting there. Uh-huh. So uh, I have a fond affection for my, my big old Oldsmobile, uh, bandit beast of a car (laughs) it is for sure well sam up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to today's cars yeah sponsors if you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over congratulations you're ahead of most people but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars talk to chris kimball certified financial planner practitioner for over 20 years he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Sam, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You're a racer. You know what this means. The white flag's out. Time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice or racing advice you've ever received? Reliability first. Mm. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) And then the, the cliche is to finish first. First, you have to finish. Yes. It's so easy. You see racers do it all of the time to get carried away with trying to make their cars hot, make it bulletproof. Absolutely. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Early rising. Get up early in the morning without a doubt. I get up every morning between 4 and 5 and uh, I go to work. And it gives me afternoons. uh, You know, it depends on how busy the day is, but most of the time it gives me afternoons to... uh, Uh, to back off and uh, do errands or whatever. Great advice. I've heard that from many, many successful people here on Cars, yeah. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I I guess this gets into the realm of the political, but uh, yeah, it's truthdig.com. That's where I go for my news. And the brief message is uh, don't trust the major uh, the mainstream media, it's yeah. <laughs> nonsense that you read on there. You have, Nowadays, I mean, this is coming from a journalist. Nowadays, if you want to have the truth, 
you have to really dig and you have to find it online. Yeah. There are still investigative journalists doing good work, but they're, they're not rewarded much. Right. Um, and you have to find those websites that have substance and really dig for the truth. Not the ones that necessarily support your point of view. Right. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Really important, especially this day and age. Now, how about a book? We've talked about your book. You've written four books. But is there another book you could share with the listeners that you really enjoyed? Maybe something you've read recently? Quite a few. I still read books. I still love books. And I read every single night of the week I read. But I'm right now reading Barbarian Days by uh, William Finnegan. Okay. It's fresh out. Won the Pulitzer Prize. It's a memoir. He's a staff writer for The New Yorker. And he's a surfer. Uh And it's a surfing memoir. My son, my son Max, got it for me for Father's Day, uh-huh. and I'm reading that. And I was just in Powell's Bookstore in Portland, which is the best uh, bookstore in the country. Yes, generally acknowledged. I bought four or five books there yesterday. Well, that's a great one. It's not been recommended. I used to be a surfer in my youth, so I'm going to get my hands on that book. And I'll remind our listeners: you can find links to all these great resources Sam has shared on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com/slash Sam. Moses, and there's another great place on the Cars Yeah website, guest recommended books, where this book and the past 500 guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. I'm going to buy myself that book and read it for sure. Oh, you'll enjoy it. it. Hey, but Mark, Fast Guys, Rich Guys, and Idiots Remastered, there's only one place you can buy it right now, unless you catch me at a race. I always, you know, take a case with me uh, to the races to sign, but it's on my own website, sammoses.com. I'm glad you uh, mentioned that, though. All right, Sam, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage or collector race car or vintage race car, but just one, but money's no object, I'll buy you whatever car you'd like. What would that vehicle be, and more importantly, why? I think it would be a car that we've all seen pictures of every now and then. It floats around. It's the Jaguar XKSS, once owned by Steve McQueen. It wouldn't have to be McQueen's Jaguar. It's just that that's the one that, that the picture comes passes by the internet every now and then because it was, I mean, it still is light years ahead of its time for its design and style. It was the cross between the D-type Jaguar and the XKE Jaguar. Uh-huh. And it was, it was the road-going D-type Jaguar in the late 50s. Yeah. And I remember, the, the answer to why is I remember as a boy, looking in a, a car magazine and turning the page and there was a full page picture of that car and nothing has ever <laughs> taken my breath away. Yeah. No woman, no, nothing has ever taken my breath away uh, like that XKSS Jaguar. Yeah. I stared at it for hours. Yeah. You have yeah. picked a very special car. I had Steve's son, Chad McQueen here on Cars yeah, as a guest, and he talked a little bit about that car. And I just ran across a picture on Facebook the other day with Steve McQueen in that car with his first wife. Uh, somebody was behind them and sh- shot a picture and they were both looking over their shoulder. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You picked a pretty special car. That's going to cost me a pretty penny. Yeah, I think I saw that picture. They were at Riverside, I think. In that Is that picture. where that was? Okay, yeah. I believe so, yeah. Very cool. Well, Sam, you have taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Jaguar XKSS? Well, 
yeah, maybe. It sounds a little bit arrogant, and you have to do it with a certain amount of, of charm, but don't do anything you don't want to do. Mm. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's what I kind of say. You can't make me do what I don't want to do, and I refuse to be bored. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, that's awesome advice. And I want to ask you, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you? And how do they get their hands on a copy of Fast Guys, Rich Guys, and Idiots, the remastered version? Well, there's always my Facebook page. I don't know how many other people named Sam Moses there are on Facebook, but I think I'm probably fairly easy to, to pick out among the handful of other ones. But it's sammoses.com, my okay. website. In fact, there's, I mean, I've got five or six separate pages. Each one is on a different subject on that page, and I maintain it myself. But that's the only place right now where you can buy the book by choice. It's a, you know, I'm just, I'm not aggressively marketing it. I would love it if people in the racing world read it, and it's certainly a good read even if you're not in the racing world. I've been told that. But uh, I, I just, I, I I just don't want to deal with Amazon or publishers or bookstores. It's just not that not worth it for me. But in everyone that's purchased off my website, you know, you you buy it through PayPal. I get the email from PayPal, and I personally inscribe every single book. And I'm the guy who licks the envelope and puts on nice. the stamps. Or when I'm in Australia, my uh, my ex-wife and good friend does it for me. There you go. But in any event, yeah, I can personally inscribe every book because I get the emails. Perfect. Uh, so it's sammoses.com. That's as easy to remember as Amazon. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything Sam has shared on his very own show notes page here at carsyad.com. Just type Sam in the search bar. That page will pop up with links to his Facebook page, his website. I would encourage you, if you love cars in any manner, you love racing, you should go to his website and buy a copy. I've got a copy I got from Sam when I was at the racetrack. He inscribed it, which is very cool. Definitely get your hands on this book. It is a fun, fun read. Sam, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Carjow listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.